Welcome. You've joined the Sexy Lifestyle with Carol and David. Our show is here to help you achieve better, better love, better sex, and a better, more intimate relationship. Are you ready? Take notes and send us your questions. This is the Sexy Lifestyle. Now, here are your hosts, Carol and David. Hey, everyone. Are you ready to spice up your sex life and live happy, healthy, and always horny? Well, you've come to the right place because that's what the Sexy Lifestyle is all about. David and I are passionate about making your sex life the best it can be. We sure are, and you know we love talking and learning about everything related to sex and sexuality, sexual health, and of course, sexual pleasure. We love diving deep into the naughty, the taboo, and the unknown, and we hope our discussions open up your dialogue about great sex because great sex matters, and we all deserve it. We sure do. So, do you ever fantasize about what you might do if presented with handcuffs? blindfolds, feather ticklers, ice cubes, or hot wax? What about your partner? Would they be into it too? Perhaps you want to find out more. On today's show, we're going to talk about exploring ways to live a more authentic and enjoyable sexual lifestyle, free of guilt, shame, and self-judgment. Hell yes. But first, let's take a minute to talk about our top waterproof blanket because great sex is messy sex and nobody wants to sleep in that wet spot. If you're fed up with having to change your sheets every time you have sex, then you need one of our top waterproof blankets. It's 100% waterproof and leak-proof and guarantees to keep your bed and mattress dry no matter how wet it gets. From messy massage oils or silicone lubes to all sorts of sexy wetness, just throw it in the washer and dryer and it comes out looking like brand new. And you don't have to leave your house to get one. Simply and safely go to Amazon and order yours today. Search Top Waterproof Blanket, that's T-O-P, Waterproof Blanket. Great sex starts now. It sure does, and so does today's show. You know we're Carol and David. This is The Sexy Lifestyle, and we are super excited to welcome today's special guest, direct from Beverly Hills. Sex therapist and sexuality professor at Pepperdine University, Dr. Hernando Chavez specializes in alternative lifestyles, including BDSM, kink, and fetishes. Today, he's going to walk us through kinky fun for everyone. So, Dr. Hernando, welcome to The Sexy Lifestyle. Thanks for taking the time to be with us here today. It was great when we met on Dr. Ava Cadell's Loveology University panel. Oh, thank you so much, David and Carol, for having me. I'm really excited to be here and and looking forward to uh, us just talking and rapping about healthy sex. Yeah, absolutely. Why don't you start by telling us how you got into the sexual, the realm of sexual education? You know, I kind of fell into it. Um, I started off as a child therapist, which, you know, over time, it just wasn't as stimulating, wasn't as, um, I wasn't as passionate about it. And, you know, they, they always sort of suggest you should make your work your passion. And not a lot of us do that. So I I took that advice and I kind of thought, how can I realign and readjust what I'm doing to to fit more of like who I am and what I'm passionate about? And I've always been a sexual being. I've always been a a very sort of a gravitated towards open-minded sort of sexual progressive thought. And it just fit. And, and it, this was actually, I think, in 2007, maybe, is when I switched to, to sex therapy. And it was because I saw a movie called Meet the Fockers. Or, sorry, uh, yeah, Meet the Fockers. And With Barbara it was the, Streisand. The Barbara Streisand. And when I saw that scene, I thought, you know, is that a real thing? Is sex <laughs> therapy real? Or is it just like a porn script? Or is this just something like a, like a butt of a joke? And I looked it up online, and there was organizations and certifications and specialties. And I thought, this is my path. 
Wow, Barbara Streisand, she's very inspirational and she hit you too. That's great. (laughs) She played a great character in (laughs) that movie. I mean, she was, at the time when we watched the movie, she was like totally out there and totally wacko. And now, you know, we've been swingers uh, for 14 years and now we look back and it's like, she was cool. She knew what she was talking about. She she was ahead of the the, the curve here. Yeah. Yeah. And and even when I watched it, I thought to myself, you know, I'm not that open-minded. I don't think I'm that like comfortable with you know she's doing like the nude yoga with right. her clients and it's upstairs in her like you know yoga loft and and so that actually inspired me to go to a school that was less focused on traditional academics and more focused on like alternative experimental sort of edgy sort of uh, you know 21st century education so uh, very happy with the education I got because I got exposure to alternative sex to BDSM to um, you know uh, kink to sort of just like the, the range of orientation and gender possibilities whereas other schools may have been you know more like in a PowerPoint mm-hmm. I got more of like real life experience and speakers and group work and it was just it was very experiential and I loved it and so why does the alternative lifestyle interest you so much that's a great question um, I think in my life and in my history I've always sort of gravitated towards either the marginalized or the underdog. Mm-hmm. And I remember growing up, I was an athlete and I always loved like the movies where there was the, you know, the adversity, like, like it was the you know, Rudy, like that movie where he wasn't, didn't make the football team. And all of a sudden he persevered and, and he fought to get like, make the team and get that one tackle. And Notre you know, Dame. to me, I've always loved that. And in sexuality, I think that there are, there's a lot of folks that uh, have not been afforded sort of that, that open armed welcoming experience that I think society should be embracing them. You know, folks that are kinky, folks that are in open relationships or non-monogamy or swinging, folks that are sex workers, uh, people with unique gender identities and sexual orientations. Um, unfortunately, like they get shunned and they often get stigmatized and discriminated against and ostracized. And we all know about the consequences of being ourselves, being authentic, that society sometimes really fucks us over or, or really, um, you know, segregates or separates us. And so I just always gravitated towards wanting to support those communities because, at least in my experience, I have found that folks are wonderful. People are loving and inviting. And there's all these myths and assumptions that once you get to know people in the communities, they just disappear because you, you realize, oh, this is just a bunch of like, you know, uh, heterocentric, you know, patriarchal, you know, bullshit that actually doesn't really exist in these communities. There's a lot of love and a lot of like pleasure and um, emotional no enjoyment. Yeah. And respect. Now, do you think there will be a day when um, these types of alternative lifestyles will be acceptable in society or accepted? I think we're going to co- continuously create more acceptance. However, I think there's always going to be a bunch of assholes out there that are judgmental and puritanical or you know rooted in certain ideologies that are conservative or I don't want to stigmatize all religions, but mm-hmm. you know, the religious influence can also, it's just, it's powerful. Mm-hmm. And um, so I just hope that we chip away at it. Like, you know, in, in Canada, there's, there's more, in my opinion, it, it seems to be more of a progressive sort of environment to invite, you know, sort of new thought and progressive thought than in America. Absolutely. We have struggled to fight for like gay marriage. And that was you know, such a, a difficult sort of journey and, and it's still being fought and there's a lot of reactions to it. So I'm just hoping that, you know, we continuously make progress and just uh, get closer to more of that acceptance. Especially with these kind of conversations that we're having today, mm-hmm. just making it normal. Yeah, the nice part about, mm-hmm. I think, society today, when we first started in the lifestyle as swingers, um, I think 4% of the population in North America um, were identified as swingers and about 16 or 17% identified as 
open to different types of sexuality. And I don't know if that swinger ratio has gone up very much, but definitely the uh, percentage of people who identify as open and wanting to explore sexuality is exploding. We mm-hmm. see it uh, when we go on the Bliss Cruise, when we travel with Topless Travel, when we go to Hedonism, when we go to Desire. There's more and more people out there who mm-hmm. are not necessarily playing with other people, but doing things different to keep their sex lives spicy and, and not fresh. boring. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm fresh, yeah. Yeah. I would imagine you're probably on the front lines of truly seeing that explosion happen because, you know, comparing maybe years ago, how many people were attending some of these events, you know, swinger takeovers or, or seeing some of the hitos and in, in, in the, the lifestyle events. I'm sure you've seen just the, the, the growth that you've probably seen with attendance. And yeah. especially with the younger people, younger couples who Absolutely. want to explore, not necessarily share their partner, but they definitely want to explore at an earlier age. I don't know if you've seen that with your clients, but we certainly have seen it in the events. You know, I find that as as society, as the media, as social media um, starts to allow people to explore and sort of get out of their own individual sort of fear and, and sort of a worry that they're the only person interested, I think we find that people, you know, that normalization effect happens. People start seeing other folks doing it. I'm not alone. And all of a sudden we gravitate towards learning more about it and joining chat rooms or different websites and groups. And, and all of a sudden we're in, in a lifestyle or involved in like, you know, the community. Yeah, mm-hmm, absolutely. absolutely. And I think um, the advent or the, the new um, streaming services and Netflix and Amazon Prime and all those different um, networks where they're allowing a lot more sexuality. We just watched uh, Sex Life. We watched Sex Education on Netflix. Um, there was Masters and Johnson. Um, mm-hmm. All these shows are bringing sexuality to the forefront of TV in your, in your own home. And I have to believe that they're opening up this dialogue between people and between couples about could we, should we, or would we? Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. I actually had an experience myself where, where um, I was working at a sexuality clinic you know, maybe a decade ago when the Fifty Shades of Grey books came out. Mm-hmm. And the clinic that I worked at, you know, they thought they were progressive, but they were actually kind of a little bit conservative and maybe a little judgmental. And so I was hoping to kind of change some of the culture and some of the minds in there. And I was having sort of, I was hitting some walls until those books came out. And all of a sudden, you know, they went from, you know, well, BDSM could be pathological to, oh, well, BDSM, if it's consensual, it can be something wonderful. And, and it was because of these books and 20 million, you know, American women and, and people worldwide were buying these books and sort of embracing dominance and submission and some of these SM fantasies. And it's interesting how the normalization of, society and the world around us can help start changing minds individually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. I love it. And we need more of it. Yeah. Well, that's a great segue yeah. to get into our topic today, which is all about kink for everyone, basically. Uh, yeah. When were you introduced to kink and BDSM? I think I was unconsciously sort of curious and interested growing up, um, but didn't have the language or the understanding to really conceptualize like, what is, what is this that I'm kind of gravitating towards or interested in or even aroused by? And it wasn't honestly until grad school that uh, when I went to, for my doctorate in human sexuality that I really got the education and the knowledge and the language and the exposure that truly helped me understand and conceptualize what is kink, what is BDSM, what is, you know, sort of uh, uh, these communities and also these experiences that people have. Um, so I, I attribute a lot of it to the school that I went to, uh, the education that I got, the people that I went, I went to school with because we as a cohort, you know, our group of, of students, we would go to class during the day and do all of our work, and then we would say, okay, well, let's all go out to a dungeon tonight. And we would kind of like bond together, and let's all go to a sex party together. And, and so we would just 
support each other and being this like group of like you know eight ten twelve people that would just sort of gravitate to all these like fun sexuality sort of um, uh, you know experiences and that was a huge I mean I'm a big believer in experiential education if anybody's ever taken some any of my classes I have experiential assignments that I try to do it on a spectrum you know based on people's comfort and what they consent to as well but I want to leave it open to if you want to attend you know some type of lifestyle event or a sex education seminar or go to a dungeon or whatever it may be I mean I want you to have the freedom to attend these and I usually encourage you to do it with a partner or with a friend you can just have like a buddy system and we go over some of the the expectations and you know the protocols and so and so on but I want them to experience that because I got so much out of the experience of learning through, you know, just life. Mm-hmm. Oh, we love mm-hmm. we love learning mm-hmm. and talking about learning because today's show is all about kinky fun. And it's going to be really an intro to kink and BDSM, kink 101. Why don't we just start with, is there a difference between kink and BDSM? Are they one and the same? I think you'll find different schools of thought. And, and if you ever hear educators, therapists, academics, we, we kind of always rarely give like a direct answer. <laughs> we kind of like are our own version of a politician where we kind of like broadly sort of paint a, a stroke and sort of leave openings for each person to have different you know, uh, expressions and thoughts and definitions. I find that people, uh, that you have some folks who will use those terms interchangeably, you know, kink and BDSM, and they kind of just interchange them. And other folks, you know, it's, it's an important distinction for them to separate what is kinky and what is BDSM. Um, you know, if, if, if you think about what kink is, I believe it's an umbrella term. Um, it's, it's, it encompasses a wide range of erotic interests, behaviors, relationships, fantasies, um, identities. And for and I leave it that broad in general because I think people will discover for themselves what feels both erotic but also what may feel taboo. And oftentimes we find that the experience of kink for people and how they identify is often rooted in not feeling like it's a part of the mainstream sort of you know, sexual thought or expression. Uh, and so there's sort of like an outside-the-box, non-traditional component to their kink, to their expression that they feel uh, is kinky. Um, with BDSM, typically it's a little bit more sort of focused on sort of that acronym of BDSM. So if we think of those four letters, B, D, S, N, it stands for a six-word uh, six acronym for bondage, discipline, domination, submission, sadism, and masochism. And if we briefly kind of define what those are, Bondage would be the restraints that we use for our sex play. And by the way, you'll always hear me say play. I, I use play probably a dozen times in, 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 a, in a session or in, with, with people because I believe this is play and this is fun. And this should be enjoyable and pleasurable. So uh, bondage would be that restraint play. And that could be anything from a hand over the mouth to do a little bit of, of air restriction or something that feels a little bit kinky. It could be something that um, place, you know, putting your hands over someone's hands when you're being sexual in a consensual manner to sort of like hold their hands down, which could be erotic. It could be uh, restraints like, you know, I'm not a big fan of metal handcuffs. Those obviously can have some safety issues. But, you know, if you put some leather straps, um, that can also be a way that we restrain ourselves, uh, a ball gag. You know, there, there's so many ways we can sort of use some of the, the ties and the restraints. Um, for the discipline, that's essentially the rules and the punishments that we add that create a, a, an experience of power exchange. Um, so many times that there will be protocols involved uh, with, with whether it's training or whether it's sort of defining our different roles. That would be the discipline. Um, the domination would be also this power exchange. And typically domination and submission is, is sort of a power exchange where there is a consensual exchange of power that both uh, uh, either the, the dominant sort of receives that sort of consent of, of uh, holding and implementing the power with obviously the submissive's um, ability to 
to uh, negotiate their boundaries and also to to um, to pause that if, if need be. But that exchange of power, where the submissive also um, relinquishes some of that power and control within the relationship, and they often find will define together um, what feels good for them. Uh, for the sadism and the masochism, those two acronyms. Traditionally, we've thought of sadism as um, the infliction of pain. I, I challenge that because I think that pain doesn't really encompass the, the experience for people when it comes to the, the infliction of pain. Because for a lot of people, it's for erotic purposes, it's for pleasure purposes, sometimes it's sensory purposes. So I encourage people to think of it as pain, pleasure, and sensation to inflict that. Uh, and then the masochist would be the person that receives some of that pain, pleasure, or sensation um, for their sexual or erotic gratifications. So if you think of like that sort of terminology of BDSM and also kink, you can, you can, BDSM to me is kinky, but kink isn't always BDSM. So if you think of kink like having outdoor sex, being like a voyeur, being an exhibitionist, that to me is a kinky experience, but it may not fall into the BDSM experience for, for most people. And so I think for some, they like to differentiate those two. Um, but I always encourage people, sometimes we spend a lot of time differentiating and defining and terminology. Get out there and enjoy yourself. Have some fun and do it. And whether you call it kinky or someone else calls it kinky, I think we can all agree that it's fun and pleasurable. And that's maybe where we should lean a lot of our interest in. I and think, just, just to add to that, does fetish incorporate it in the kink? So uh, the same kind of would go as well. If kink is that big umbrella term, BDSM and fetish would typically be underneath that umbrella. Uh, fetishes historically have had kind of a, a narrow definition. We, we used to define fet fetishes as... Uh, People who who, um, who have sort of sexual gratification through inanimate objects, and that inanimate object was necessary to be present or fantasized for them to experience sexual gratification. We kind of expanded that because that feels very narrow. You know, there are people that can experience maybe the only thing they can experience from orgasm or pleasure is through that boot or through that leather or through that object. But now we realize it's a it's a lot more expansive that most people can fetishize something but also have an expansive sexual sort of arousal in other areas so we kind of just have broadened that to more of like a fascination and sort of a gravitation towards you know certain inanimate objects but it's not necessary um but people like to bring in what works for them so it's typically a part of their sexual experience and what we see with research too that if you have one fetish you typically have multiple fetishes mm. that there's a there's sort of a strong research to suggest you have a wide sort of range of like things that you feel very strongly connected to and then in the fetish sort of research, they used to define the difference between the inanimate object and the body part. They used to call it partialist or partialism was when you sort of fixate and fantasize about a certain body part as opposed to the inanimate object. To me, that gets really technical. I just like to say we, we just gravitate and then sort of feel a strong relationship towards bodies, towards experiences, towards objects. And, and for a lot of people, it can be very strong sort of gravitation. Wow, that's all great to know. Thank you, Dr. Hernando. Let's just take a second to do a quick shout out to one of our show sponsors. We'll be right back after this. Just a reminder that we are Carol and David. This is The Sexy Lifestyle, and we're talking with sex therapist, Dr. Hernando Chavez. Stay right there. All right, so here's some exciting news. We are so excited to announce our new partnership with Topless Travel. Topless Travel has been around for many years and puts on the most erotic events at some of the world's sexiest venues. From the Bliss Cruises to Desire in Cancun and Hedonism in Jamaica, Topless Travel offers a multitude of new and exciting adventures to stimulate all your desires. We'll have lots more to tell you in our upcoming shows, so stay tuned. For more information about all their open-minded events, simply go to thesexylifestyle.com and book the sexiest vacation ever. 
All right, this is The Sexy Lifestyle. We are Carol and David. It's time to get back with our show with Dr. Hernando Chavez, an expert in alternative lifestyles. And um, wow, what a great first segment we had. Mm -hmm. I, I learned a ton. So why don't we get back to the beginning? Let's start from the beginning and tell us how do people get started in this kink lifestyle that you described earlier? You know, each person is going to have a different path. And I think we should consider what our path may um, I, I personally encourage people to go down a path of getting to know themselves and also getting to know the community or the lifestyle or the, the kink that they're interested in uh, before we start jumping into experiencing them. Um, for me, I, I, I believe that the more education we get, uh, the more knowledgeable we become, the more it starts to desensitize us to some of the discomforts, the fears, the internalized sort of anxieties that we sometimes experience when it comes to embracing our unique uh, sexual identity. Uh, for example, if one of my interests is public sex, let's say, uh, let's use that as an example, um, I might want people to explore the public sex scene, you know, the warrior exhibition scene, maybe explore um, what are some, maybe read a book like The Erotic Mind or read a book like, you know, uh, Insatiable Wives if you're into something like cuckolding or, or sort of multiple partner sex. Really try to find some information, podcasts, uh, uh, books, um, and even mentors and even groups, you know, that can also provide, I think, some support because I'm a big believer in not just education, but also community building. That the more community we can build, the more we feel sort of, um, a closer relationship to our, the, not only the, the challenging of that internal anxiety, but the acceptance of the sexual identity self, which I think all of us need to accept ourselves before we can truly um, immerse ourselves in the communities and experiences that feel gratifying and pleasurable. I'm a big believer that we work on our shit first. We learn and educate our, about ourselves and also what we're interested in. And then we start finding people and, and opportunities to explore and experience it. And I usually encourage people to start off slow, that if, you never had sex in public. Maybe you may not want to have sex in front of, you know, 50 or 60 people at a sex club, you know, for your first time. Like maybe we could ease ourselves into it because that can be a lot of pressure and anxiety and performance anxiety. Um, but I, I think that we also have to make it fun and pleasurable that many times people will uh, put pressure on themselves. So I, I encourage people to take it slow, to immerse themselves with mentors and with community members and to find places that also are sex positive as well. Because there are going to be times when we find that maybe there are certain communities that are more welcoming, more inviting. Maybe there's a, a like if someone was to go to a sex club or a sex party, um, it may be nice to have some people go along with you that you already have had sex with and you sort of have a relationship with. Or maybe you want to try your first sort of big swingers event at a place like Jamaica, you know, a place where, you, you know, who doesn't have a good time at, at the beach or in Jamaica? So that could be a nice way to ease into that experience. But I'm big on education, uh, relationship building, community building, um, and also just kind of easing ourselves into it so that we can have a great experience. Yeah, we um, are so pro-education, um, pro-learning. And we've, we've been asked many times, you know, how do I get into swinging? And sometimes the question is, um, first you need to talk to your partner about it. And then once you've spoken to your partner about it, go to a sex club and do nothing. Just watch. Mm -hmm. Just go with your partner. You might want to be there. Check out the scene. Get naked. Have sex, the two of you. Blow job. Eat pussy. You know, make out. Mm -hmm. Be naked. Fuck each other with other people watching you. Or not. Or go or into not. one of the yeah. private rooms. Mm -hmm. And then go home and talk about what you saw, the experiences, and what you want to do next time. We've seen so many people, you were just talking about hedonism in Jamaica or Desire or the cruises, um, who come in a little bit blinded. And they go in head first and all of a sudden, two days later, they're like, 
I didn't know you were going to do that or I didn't know we were able to do that. And it, mm-hmm. it's so much better. And so many of these these trips that we go on have educators. You know, uh, we're, um, mm-hmm. we have a great friend, Dr. Nancy Sutton-Pierce. You know her very well. We were on the panel mm-hmm. together. She's at Nadia New Orleans right now. She was with us at Hito in Jamaica. She goes on the Bliss Cruises. And she gives mm-hmm. amazing courses. You were talking about naked yoga. She does that. That's a great way to do something different. Go on the beach and be naked and yeah. get fit, right? Um, but ask people and, and your your idea about you know going as a group sometimes you know you don't have friends who you can tell about what's going on well if you go on these trips or you go on um the clubs on a regular basis you're gonna organically make friends because people are so open and if you're there for the first time someone's gonna notice you know carol and i are always looking for that couple who are sitting by themselves not knowing what to do Mm. and someone will come up to you and say hey we're carol and david is this your first time here yeah Oh, that's great advice. I, I love the idea of watching and, and first exploring, sort of just being in the environment first. I think that's a great, a great advice. And it's not just about swinging. You know, there's um, on all these trips, there's dungeons and dark rooms and, and yeah. then there's the kink um, um, events that happen. And it's exactly the same thing. I mean, the, the, the open-minded alternative lifestyle community are very welcoming. They're very non-judgmental. So if you want to come in and you want to just try a blindfold, they're not going to judge you because you don't want to be tied up on the cross and be and be flogged. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You don't have to go all in. You brought up a desire, and, and it, it made me think of an experience I had at Desire. Uh, the first time I ever spoke at Desire, I was, I was invited there. Um, so I had this idea of like doing a, a foreplay, sort of like you know, better sex kind of you know, workshop. And, and you know, when I had gone to breakfast, we had clothes on, you know, obviously in pool areas and different areas, you know, the, the clothes were, were taken off. And when we had sort of like the seats and the mats set up for the presentation, I had the you know, shorts and a, and a shirt on and everybody came in nude. Uh-huh. And as I was about to give the, the presentation, I thought, shit, am I supposed to be nude too? Do I keep my clothes on? Do I not? Am I like, am I kind of like othering myself and sort of, you know, separating myself in a way that I don't want to? And, and I got, I, you know, I was, I was, um, in my head in terms of like, what should I be doing? And I think that sometimes that first timer experience, you know, we do some have some in, inside of our head experiences or some anxieties. And and then I remember asking somebody, and they said, oh, you know, some people do and some people don't, it's up to you. We've had some people keep their clothes on, some people take their clothes off, just do what's comfortable. And that was a really nice inviting environment, but also a lovely, like, just to hear from somebody just being sort of like, get out of your head, man, enjoy yeah. yourself, like yeah. stop thinking about it. Right. And and then, you know, when we were talking about all these techniques, all of a sudden everybody starts having sex, you know, throughout. throughout and I thought, well, I think that went well. I mean, if people like what I said and started fucking afterwards, this this is this is good. And so wait, <laughs> did you take your clothes off or did you leave them on? I left them on because uh, um, I didn't want to like, I wanted to kind of keep it sort of more focused on their sexual experience as opposed to like, I don't want that to sort of turn into me, at least in that moment. You know, in that moment, I think I was there to just sort of support and educate and um, yeah, so so that was one of the, the few times that I kept the clothes on. Oh, that's okay. Nice. It also makes you the teacher yeah. as opposed to the, the student and it differentiates. So that one as of well. our good friends is Dr. Jessica O'Reilly and um, mm-hmm. she also speaks and teaches at Desire and she was one of the first educators that we actually experienced, got yeah. and experienced. And we walked into her class and we came wearing clothes for the first time where everybody else was naked. She says, you know, okay, get a little mat, put it on the floor. And mm-hmm. over the next hour, she walked all the women through 
how to give an amazing blowjob right to the orgasm, right mm-hmm. to the cum. She walked out. She allowed everybody to fuck. And the next day it was guys going down on the girls step by yeah. step. And no, she wasn't naked. She was yeah. like you. She yeah. was wearing a hot dress and her heels and she was talking everybody through it. And it was our first experience of um, it wasn't an orgy. It wasn't swinging. It was a sex education play shop where everybody learned how to have better sex. Yeah. Mm-hmm because I didn't know if, um, how, I guess you could say, uh, how immersed I was going to be during the workshops. I brought a friend of mine who's a porn actress who like is totally comfortable and with like, you know, and she would ask for consent, but she would kind of like help, you know, people touch in a certain way and sort of help them instruct and we would both sort of get in there. I probably was more like Dr. Jessica cause she's a great friend, but I also can see the two of us, um, you know, sort of being clothed and kind of like instructional, but not so as hands-on. Yeah. That's why I brought a friend along who's a lot more hands-on That's than cool. I do. Yeah, very cool. <laughs> so we're talking a lot about, you know, community. We're talking about trips. We're talking about, you know, how we do this in a group setting. Um, and we'll get into a little bit the community right after this. But people can also practice um, kink and fetishes at home. What are some things people could do at home? You know, for people at home, you know, if you're by yourself, um, I think that that's, that's going to be an experience that we have to sort of discover. And I think online communities, the, uh, exploring porn is one of the ways that we can start learning about ourselves. Um, I think we have to do the internal self-exploration first that many of us haven't really formulated what we're attracted to, what we're aroused by, or sometimes we have hangups about even exploring that. So I would definitely encourage people to first um, explore through their fantasies and, and maybe work through whatever hangups they may have. And maybe there are some things that they may, they may need coaching or therapy to sort of get through. But when we arrive at the place where we want to to explore communication, uh, I've got a friend uh, named Dr. Emily Morse, and I love her line where she says, communication is lubrication. And we've got to start beginning to have these dialogues, talking about our fantasies. I mean, a lot of the work that I do with, with people is sort of creating, helping them to create empowerment and confidence to own who they are and share their sort of desires authentically with partners. Um, many times we have fears that will be judged, fears that they will leave us, fears that they, that uh, what we do is strange or weird, and we have all these judgments and these labels that we attach to it. Um, if we can work through sort of that self-acceptance, I think we can then own who we are with our partners. Most partners, I find, are pretty open to um, inviting their partner's pleasure and trying to work together to try to find sort of a way to help each other feel pleasure, each other to feel sort of uh, that, that sort of sexual bliss. Um, most most of the time, I, I do find that oftentimes it's our own fears that hold us back. Um, but I encourage, you know, being open and honest about your fantasies. I encourage um, trying to ask partners if there's things we can do together to explore these. If it's a BDSM fantasy, you know, can we talk about, you know, what area of BDSM do we gravitate towards? And can we also open the door for our partners to express if they also have sort of their desires? And having that reciprocative dialogue, I think, opens up the door to us feeling both that we can do this together and we can also explore together. Now, there are times when people want to explore separate. Uh, so there's going to be important needs for consent discussions, ethics discussions, sexual health discussions, you know, with risk reduction, um, maybe boundaries in terms of what we negotiate. What I do find is that um, people can work together towards bringing these things in. And for a lot of people, there's ways that we can educate ourselves first to then have pleasurable experiences. Uh, not everybody likes to read books and, and, and so on. So there's a, a great website called kinkacademy.com that I, I send a lot of my clients to. Website with uh, thousands of videos with educators to help explore kink, explore BDSM, explore the psychological and some of the technique and behavioral experiences so that we can get a good idea before we start trying 
Um, you know, I just had a client recently that was, you know, they were exploring this, but they were kind of doing it without a lot of educational background and they were doing it when they were kind of drinking a lot and it was sort of late at night after the clubs and the parties. And so we sort of talked about the importance of maybe adjusting the way that they're inviting this into life, you know, for, from a safety perspective, but also from a sensory awareness perspective, because when we're high or drunk, Obviously, there's a lot that we sort of miss in terms of our bodies and the, the verbal and nonverbal cues. Um, so if people can't identify what turns them on, I would say get the education, take the risk and the, and the leap of trying it out. And I think you'll find that there's a lot of pleasure you can invite into your lives, into your relationships. Now, most of us know a lot about the kink from watching the Fifty Shades of Grey movies that came out. We didn't all read the books, but we certainly a whole bunch of millions of people watched the movies. And I just want you to make a note about, tell us about, you don't need to have a red room like he did. You don't have to have tons of toys. You can actually use things that are in your home already if you want to explore, whether it's a feather mm-hmm. duster or spatula. a spatula or a wooden spoon. Talk a little bit about how we don't have to go to the dungeon to have some, some yeah. good pleasure sensory uh, fun. Some people call those pervertibles. Uh, <laughs> those are sort of the things around our house or around our lives that we can use. And, and many people will sort of have a bit of an imaginative and creative mind that they, have, they would like to invite into their, their pleasure, into their kink. And if you look around your room or look around your house, there are going to be a number of things that you can use that can um, accentuate some of your kink or, or BDSM experiences. Uh, you brought up like the spatulas or the spoons. Um, you know, I remember going to a workshop where we actually brought paint stirrers mm-hmm. and we had to bring three paint. They provided the paint stirrers and then we put quarters in the middle of the paint stirrers. So we stacked them up and then we put Gorilla Glue and then we painted them. And, we, and so we made these like spankers that were you know kind of weighted and, and you know very firm. Uh, but they were, it was cheap. It was something we just, you know, made. And many kinksters will say, you know, Home Depot is going to be your best friend because <laughs> you can go there and just creatively create a lot of things uh, for play. It doesn't always have to be, as you mentioned, in a dungeon. For example, I believe that foreplay doesn't start with our, the first kiss or for, for the body's touch. I think foreplay is a mental experience that we can start when we wake up in the morning. It can be done throughout the day. I and mean, we are planting seeds of eroticism within the mind. And you can do these things that, uh, if you, especially if you're creative and imaginative, that can help sort of create that sort of arousal that just sort of lasts uh, throughout the day until we get to the, the moments of being sexual. I'll give you an example. Um, I was once on a date, uh, and uh, we had talked about you know open-minded, and she was also very open-minded as well. So I whispered in her ear. I said, "I want you to, to go to the bathroom and take off your panties. When you come back, I want you to put them inside of my pocket." And so she kind of heard me. She got up, she went, she came back, and all of a sudden I felt her go into my pocket. Before she sat down, she put her panties inside, and I reached inside to make sure that her panties were in there. And then I did. And that was something that um, we did just to kind of like spice, to sort of like mm-hmm. add a little bit of novelty and spice to that moment. Uh, and then, you know, little by little, I would um, tease her about it. You know, or I would, I would reach into my hand, I'd pull them out, and I'd have like the panties just sort of gently showing. I'd have them sort of slightly in public or slightly sort of, you know, visual, but she knew what I was doing. And it was something we did to kind of just plant that seed. And I think a lot of folks, if you can lean into your creativity and your imaginative side, you can find um, a lot of different ways to experience your kink. Yeah, especially after a whole bunch of discussion and figuring out what your partner is liking and what your partner's looking for more, uh, more of. Um, Mm-hmm. The kind of naughtiness that you're talking about is kind of how we started 
in this lifestyle of being open-minded. Um, this is our second marriage. Mm-hmm. And when we first met each other, we were all in for all the great sex that we wanted to have. But we also wanted to spice it up and do little things. And it was the first time that I went to a shopping mall wearing a short skirt and no panties was with David mm-hmm. upon his request. And it was like really hot. We had amazing oh, we had sex. sex. Yeah, we had amazing sex. when we got. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah, that too. And then, yeah. Uh, yeah Are you guys so. okay? They're knocking on the door. Are you guys okay? <laughs> Hell yeah. And it, was, it wasn't about having an orgasm. It was just about doing right, the naughty. Right. And, you know, yeah. So I sat on him, his hard cock for a little bit. And we were just being naughty because I could. I had a skirt on with no panties. It was easy to do. And so we sort of just went there. It was kind of fun. So let's talk. I love that. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about the importance of rules and negotiations and safe words, which we hear about. Sure. You know, this is the part I think of, of, of sometimes people's pleasure and kink and BDSM, um, where we, we lean into more of the um, creating the foundation. And it, it seems like it's a little less sexual in terms of the, the effort that we're putting to create the opportunity for our hedonistic pleasures and desires to be fulfilled and experienced. I sometimes, you know, will share with clients that maybe 95% of the time in your relationships, you're setting the stage for that 5% of the time where you get to just experience the, the hedonistic bliss without, you know, any worry or, or and, uh, and you're just leaning into your body and your pleasure and sort of the experience. But in that sort of that, that 95%, we do have to do things like, you know, negotiate and, uh, explore, um, discover sort of what people's comfort zones are, what people's sort of areas that they may feel uncomfortable with. We have to get um, into a place of negotiating and understanding people's what their your yes may be and their no sort of uh, areas when in terms of their sexual experience. Um, for, for the yes experiences, you know, these are things that we define as things that we both enjoy and we both consent to and we can incorporate those into our sex play. The maybes might be places that we define as we're still a little bit uncomfortable or we still maybe have a little bit of, of hesitation. So we might want to either table them or either or introduce them sort of gently. And in the no areas, we have to define sort of put boundaries around the areas that feel uncomfortable or feel like they are um, not the areas that we want to explore together. The more con- the more communication we have in terms of negotiating that consent, the more you'll be able to define sort of your play area. And, and I kind of uh, encourage people to think of it like it's the park that you create together that you get to just run wild in and play in the sand and roll around together. If we can define that play area and, and put boundaries around the things that uh, may not be as uh, within our wheelhouse, I think you'll find that your sex will probably be less anxiety inducing and more pleasurable because you are now in a space of uh, being honored, being respected, and also being nurtured in terms of where your pleasure lies. Yeah, and I think one of the things we have to keep in mind is that sometimes we don't know what we don't know, and you don't know until you get in that situation. So you have to be open mm-hmm. to some errors, even though you've done all your communication. You might yeah. get into a situation where you change your mind and, and realize, oh, I didn't realize it could go in this direction, mm-hmm. and now I'm not comfortable, and we haven't spoken about it, but I need to get out. Well, what about those safe words for those situations? Uh, safe words, you know- Safe words are for individuals that, you know, in all of our play, we should have sort of an ability for us to communicate when we may be experiencing something that doesn't feel as pleasurable or as good or we would like to stop. Traditional safe words might use the the stoplight sort of uh, metaphor, which is red, yellow, green. Red being stop. Yellow meaning you're getting really close to an area like, like either. And, and, and people have to define what yellow is for that for them if they say that, say that that word because some for some yellow may mean stop now so I can kind of regroup. For others, it means don't accept, don't accelerate or sort of increase the sensation of the experience of what you're doing. So we have to define if that means pause or if that means uh, let's downshift. 
And green typically means keep going. I like what's happening. This is something that I'm enjoying. So um, those check-ins, you know, are really important that when we're involved in our kink or in our BDSM, we want to encourage not just conversations before, but ongoing communication throughout. As people become more skilled with learning and knowing about their partner, some people do also incorporate not just the verbal communication and consent, but they may also incorporate the nonverbals as well. Uh, some people will have like winks that they'll do to know that their their partner's enjoying this or they're going to continue going. Some people might do something with their hand or with their ear or a certain squeeze of the body part to sort of suggest that I enjoy this. Uh, but that's a negotiation that each couple should do or each, um, and we shouldn't assume. I think assumption is going to be one of the challenges when it comes to communication. Uh, something that's also important to, to note is uh, when we are sort of experiencing some of these, these, these um, uh, uh, kink and, and sort of BDSM experiences, that folks may also want some aftercare. And that's something, a negotiation we should talk about. Because some folks, after we are at a play party or after we're with another partner, or even if we're being sexual with a new experience together, they may want something unique like communication or cuddling or being held uh, or space. I mean, I think we have to talk about you know what, what it looks like after we experience some of our, our fantasies and being sexual. Uh, and that's another communication. It, you know, the idea of working together is important. And it makes me think of something like anal training, you know, that a lot of people fantasize about anal, they enjoy anal, but then there are some people that are a little maybe uncomfortable or, or just sort of gently want to tread the waters. And we can communicate about anal training and, and adjust uh, and address things like hygiene or address things like pain, address things like, you know, some of the, the things that people fear or the myths that we have associated with that. And we can work together. For example, when I do anal training work with, with partners and also with clients, we may talk about the importance of just being external and just maybe even placing our finger on their anus and just letting them breathe, right. letting them just have some deep breathing because we know that the, the sphincter constricts when we're afraid or anxious or nervous. Maybe it's just about touch, a little bit of external touch. We don't have to jump into the, the porn anal fucking like, you know, that we're imagining. We can just help our partners slowly desensitize and just get more acclimated and comfortable. And maybe over time, it, it becomes a little bit of lube and some rubbing. Maybe maybe we start with manicured nails gently inserted with their consent. And we teach them things like the breath or insert when there's an exhale because that's a relaxation of the sphincter muscle to gently insert. And, you know, there's a lot of anal training kits with different size butt plugs. I mean, there's there's ways that we can do this that we, so we can minimize the, 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 the difficult or painful or challenging experience. And we can open the door to having these wonderful sort of small incremental baby step pleasurable experiences. And and then you're also prolonging the pleasure because, you know, you're not just going to get that fantasy done. You actually are taking your time and learning about it and doing it together. The partnership is a lot of fun. And the journey to get it done is a lot of fun as well. And I love like anal training, for example. I love going slow. And I love when they get sort of so hungry and thirsty that they're the ones saying, oh, fuck, just put it in. Or, oh, God, let's try this. And they're sort of guiding this through consent but also through their own, that animalistic hunger based on sort of the teasing and sort of the slow sort of uh, pacing. So we can have a lot of fun with this too. Wow, absolutely. Cool. Well, this has been a great segment with lots and lots of information. Let's just remind everybody that we are Carol and David. This is The Sexy Lifestyle, and we're having an amazing discussion with sex therapist, Dr. Hernando Chavez. Coming up next is our favorite segment, Great Sex Matters. But first, another shout out to one of our show sponsors. So stay right there. As usual, we're not going anywhere. We're going to talk about hedonism. Uh, everybody knows we were there for 89 days this winter, and it's absolutely one of our favorite places to hang naked on the beach, and it is the sexiest place on earth where you can be as mild or as wild as you'd like. 
And we are so excited about the fact that it's Hito's 40th anniversary celebration this year. It's going to happen October 30th to November 6th. So come and join us for a week. For more information about that trip or anything else, you can go to thesexylifestyle.com and click on the Hito link to book the sexiest and most erotic vacation ever. And if you are looking for an open-minded online community to find compatible people and events in your area, you can go to sdc.com and use promo code 30314 to get your first month free. Absolutely. All right, we're back. We are Carol and David. This is The Sexy Lifestyle. And now it's time for our favorite part of the show where we get to talk about great sex because... Well, great sex matters and we all deserve it. Alrighty. Wow. Following up all that great information from the previous segment, let's talk about fantasies. We did mention it a little bit, but we know that fantasies play a big role in the kink lifestyle. For fantasies, people, um, I encourage people to explore fantasies and like on their own. Um, One of the ways that I encourage that is through reading a book called Tell Me What You Want. Uh, One of my favorite authors right now, his name is Dr. Justin Miller, And he did a study where he asked more than 4,000 people what their sexual fantasies are. And we've had, you know, fantasy research in the past. We've had, you know, Nancy Friday wrote an incredible book in the, in the late 70s around sort of women's fantasies. I think it was called My Secret Garden. We've had a numerous sort of um, fantasy explorations. But what I love about this is that it was so varied in terms of where they went with the fantasies. Like the modern fantasy is, is similar to the to historical fantasies that people had. But we now have more research that says, wow, our fantasies are diverse and varied. And um, they, they reach a lot of different ranges. Uh, for example, you know, his research talked about some of the, the top three fantasies that people experience are the first one is multiple partner fantasies. So that could be threesome, swinger, uh, uh, orgy, gangbang, you know, sort of fantasy. So just having more than two kind of experience. Uh, the second one was novelty fantasies. So having just unique experiences, different, you know, something that's outside the box in terms of not like our traditional in the bed, you know, right after the kids go to sleep kind of sex. And that could be anything from swinging to being outdoors to being on a hike. You know, I think you both mentioned having some uh, some changing room sex, which is very <laughs> novel. You know, <laughs> so that that's a great example of, of that. And the third fantasy was power fantasies. So that would be more in in in, in the range of our BDSM sort of you know, type of fantasies. Just having more of a dominant, submissive, both behavioral and psychological component to those fantasies. Um, you know, with fantasies, when we think of let's say BDSM, for example, you know, some of the the data shows that Lots of people have BDSM fantasies. Um, the research shows that about 76% of women and about 85% of men have domination fantasies. So think about how many people. For submission fantasies, about 93% of women and 81% of men. So this is something that also challenges some of our stigmas too, that we all have to be in certain roles, that there are actually a lot of varied roles, that there are a lot of men who want to be submissive and a lot of women who want to be dominant. And we should try to embrace that and find ways to incorporate that uh, um, you know, in, within our relationships. For bondage fantasies, about 85% of women and 73% of men have bondage fantasies. Uh, for sadism fantasies, about 60% of women and 56% of men. And for masochism fantasies, about 79% of women and 49% of men have masochistic fantasies. So if you think about these types of fantasies, I mean, that's the majority. Every one of them was over 50%. So the majority of people probably have fantasies that are kinky or BDSM oriented and how many actually live it out though. And that's one of the challenges is that is us trying to align our fantasy world with our reality world that many people's sex that they experience 
is different than what they fantasize for pleasure, for eroticism, for sensuality, for you know their their ultimate sort of desires. I encourage people to try to bridge that gap. But I know sometimes keeping our, our sex fantasies in the fantasy world can also be erotic and charged, and, and that's wonderful. But what would it be like to incorporate more of that authentic sexual self that creates more of a congruency with our fantasies and our behaviors? Typically, you find that most people will say that feels wonderful, that to truly be authentic with my sexual expression and align them up with my fantasy world typically sort of makes all of, a lot of our dreams come true. And we experience heightened amounts of bliss and sexual experiences that are, you know, much sort of more deep and pleasurable and blissful than if we kept them sort of in our fantasy box. Absolutely. And uh, just going back to Dr. Justin Lee Miller, um, we actually had, we did a show with him um, uh, last year all about his research and survey that he did. Mm. And the whole show was all about fantasies. And in a couple of weeks, he's going to be on our show again. And we're going to explore that even more because, um, you know, fantasies are what we believe adds that spice and gets rid of the boredom in a relationship. And one of the things we spoke about, and um, many, many experts on our show have um, spoken about it, is when you get into one of those basic fantasies, which is a threesome, which so many, so many people have had. And um, Dr. Miller was explaining that, you know, a married couple of 25 years after, you know, year 25, the husband brings it up to his wife that he wants to have a threesome. And she goes, you too? I've been wanting to have it for so many years. And he never, ever spoke mm-hmm. about it. And he says, well, um, which one of our female friends do you want to do it with? And she's like, well, which one of your male friends do you want to do it with? Right. And all of a sudden, mm-hmm. this dialogue opens up about something they've never spoken about before. And the same thing applies, I'm assuming, um, in the kink and BDSM and the alternative mm-hmm. lifestyle. If you want to use a flogger, bring it up to your partner, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And and if we can overcome our own fears of judgment or our own lack of self-acceptance to find the courage to be able to share this, most of the time you find that partners have their own sort of similar experience of fear. And if we can both overcome our fears, you may be able to find a lot of compatibility and congruency with your sexual desires and fantasies that you didn't know about. Because Unfortunately, we don't talk about this in our relationships traditionally. I mean, most mainstream folks avoid some of these dialogues. I remember early on in my therapy career, I was working at a, an agency where we were doing premarital counseling. And so I had like this template of four sessions I had to go through people and it, who were getting married. And we would ask questions about children and about, you know, the religious beliefs and about, you know, all these things that were non-sexual. And I was like, fuck this. Like, I want to add some sex into this, you know. And so I asked if it was okay if I can ask some questions about dating, sex, and relationships. And and I do remember asking questions about like threesomes or about, uh, you know, uh, fantasies. And it was both shocking for some people, for most people. But then when they would take that risk of sharing a little bit, their partner would oftentimes say, oh, my gosh, me too. Mm-hmm. Or, oh, wow, I have something kind of similar. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and that's a it gr- could be a way for us to also create bonding. And that's a great time to share those fantasies when you're not even connected, um, you know, by marriage yet. And if someone is completely offline with you and finds that repulsive or, or gives you that negative or the shaming, then, you know, maybe that you're not so compatible. But I was just thinking while you were talking earlier about um, when I first met David and he shared that he likes to be tied down. 
Now, I made it very clear, I don't like to be tied down, but if that's what you would like me to do, then that's fine with me. But what we do is we don't actually tie him down. I tell him that you are tied down. You cannot move your arms and you cannot touch Mm -hmm. me. You cannot lift from there. So we don't actually have to have a restraint, but it's a mental restraint. And then I can put my tits all over his face, but he's not allowed to touch, not with his lips, not my sucking. Sit on my face. Yeah. And sometimes I'll sit on his face and tell Mm -hmm. him when he's allowed to touch with his tongue only, not with his hands. Mm -hmm. And so for some people, they, they don't want to be tied, like may not really physically, physically want to tie their partner down yeah. and just know that you can do it in an emo- in just uh, a mental state rather than it physically exactly. being tied down, which is still a lot of fun, believe me. What a great example of differentiating between physical bondage and mental bondage, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and, and that there's some discipline also involved in that as well, too, which, you know, it's wonderful to hear that the two of you are, are bringing that into your sex life. And also sharing these things early on, um, everybody's going to have their own different version of how they want to experience. You know, some people, let's say for bondage, will want to buy elaborate rope and they want to spend many minutes doing sort of beautiful rope ties and knots that are sort of, you know, sort of their version of poetry and, and creativity. And other people just want to buy, you know, a leather restraint that just fits over your wrist. You sort of tie it through the, the, the hoop or even the Velcro. And it's something that you can do in a, in a few seconds. But each person, I think, gets to decide. And I think that's where the dialogue happens, where we can work together. I just love that that the example you gave is such a beautiful compromise of, of us, you know, meeting our partners in the middle to, to find a mutual relationship pleasure. Mm-hmm. And I think he likes it a lot when I just surprise him and every now and Hell again, yeah. just tell him, no way, you're not moving now. You tonight. have to stay still. I'm looking forward to tonight. <laughs> Frisky Fridays. I know one of the things that we talk about, too, is that about orgasm and the, in the kink world mm-hmm. that I hear often that there's it's not really the ultimate goal of a kinky play. Tell me about that. You know, in, in, in sex therapy, we often encourage people to try to decenter certain expectations and goals that we, that traditional sexual experiences typically, uh, focus on. The erection centric, the intercourse centric, the orgasm centric experiences that oftentimes that can put pressure on relationships or people to have to try to meet those certain standards. And there are times when, um, our sex play doesn't necessarily need to go there. You know, I know some people like to incorporate that, but what would it be like if we could, uh, decenter some of those sort of rigid expectations and maybe make goals like my goal is to feel pleasure and to create connection and intimacy and experience intimacy with you. How can we do that that may or may not incorporate something like an erection or a lubrication or penetration or an orgasm? That sometimes you find people um, will play with orgasm. So we sometimes call this OD, like orgasm deprivation, where you will stimulate somebody to the point of, of hearing orgasm and then you'll pull back and it's sort of this wonderful beautiful tease uh in certain sort of you know uh, relationships they may not go to orgasm as part of like the the overall sort of you know experience of power exchange and discipline um in certain cultures you may find like in the dallas community that part of the sexual experience is to near orgasm uh, ejaculation but to not experience ejaculation and try to learn to separate experiencing an orgasm but not experiencing the ejaculation which in itself is an art form and a skill to learn something that, um, you know, or, or multiple orgasms. Um, but I just encourage people to talk about how can we also have play that doesn't necessarily create pressure or expectation. And, and what you're talking about here, I think, is sometimes called edging as well, right? This orgasm deprivation? Yeah, yeah. We, we call that edging too as well. 
sometimes you'll hear edging used in in the sex therapy world for premature ejaculation. It's like a behavioral modification treatment for us to expand our sexual response cycle um, to 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 create more of an orgasm gap. But in I think the kink world, edging is more of like a playful terminology mm-hmm. to play with orgasm and. It creates a lot of psychological, you know, for some people it's frustration, for some people it's like a buildup of tension, for other people it's it feels pleasurable to have that sort of erotic edging tension. Yeah, a lot of fun. Love it. All right, well, we're almost at the end of our show, and before we get to our final advice, we've spoken about all these different um, activities or, or play things that people can do, but it does happen where things go wrong every once in a while. What happens if something goes wrong when you're in a scene or you're, you tried swinging or you tried kink or you tried BDSM? Yeah. My hope is that when people, you know, begin to immerse themselves into these experiences that they've done the work to educate themselves on safety and also safety protocols and also what to do in those safety situations. Um, it's, it happens where we do have experiences that go awry, that don't sort of pan out the way we'd like to, or we cross a boundary or a line that, that we negotiated. I think it's important for us to to pause, to try to care for the, for the person who feels harmed or who feels like they, their boundary has been pushed or violated. I think it's important for us to communicate about that, to take responsibility and own sort of that, that challenge, that, uh, the, the experience of how we may have sort of contributed to things going wrong, and try to nurture and care for those individuals to the best of our abilities. Uh, we, I briefly brought up aftercare a moment ago, but there's also um, boundary care as well, too, when we feel like our boundary had been uh, uh, pushed or even broken. And also, too, even when we've consented to experiences, sometimes just our own internal you know, uh, experience of mental health or trauma or just emotions come up where uh, we define that it was okay to go to this area, but it brought something up for us. To be compassionate, to be empathic, to be nurturing, especially when someone is experiencing their own emotional or, or mental reaction, that would be my, my encouragement is to try to both, um, obviously if there's a medical need for safety, I mean obviously act you know in, in that sort of situation, that manner first, but then also to cater to the emotional needs of, of individuals. I also encourage to check-ins, um, mm-hmm. even after our, our experiences, to schedule check-ins an hour later, that evening, the next day, even three or days later, even a week later, um, that that's something that can be really important and valuable. If there is something that goes wrong in terms of a safety issue, I also encourage incorporating more of their mentors' community and their friendships um, to let people know that they might need additional support, that they may or may not be able to be supported with that person that they were playing with. Um, it's really important for us to just have uh, people that we can lean on towards some of that relational support. And one of the things we say all the time when you're in a couple and you're going to do stuff outside, we'll call it the norm, whether it be swinging, kink, BDSM, whatever it is, um, first of all, as a couple, you need to have awesome communication and trust within each other. So if you go into this, you have to come out of it if something goes wrong, being able to talk to each other about it. And please don't hold it against each other. You both went in agreeing to it and you're going to come out and you're going to be a stronger couple by learning what went good, what went wrong, and how you can do it better next time. Yeah, I think that's wonderful advice. And, and, and it brings up something that I experienced that also was was, my, was a learning lesson for myself. Uh, I was at a play party and uh, a couple was there and, and they consented to having me spank the female uh, partner. And so I was, we were in a spanking scene and, uh, and I thought everything went well and we talked about it, consented about it. Uh, and the next day, the female came up to me with, with their partner and they showed me pictures of their butt and there was some bruising. 
and I didn't do a very heavy spanking. It was actually very, very light, but that person just, their body, you know, was very sort of reactive to bruising or, or um, and so I felt in my heart kind of mortified because that's, you know, that's, we didn't consent to leaving marks and that was not something that I was expecting to happen with a very light spanking. And in that moment, I felt, I felt awful. Um, but they did say, no, no, no. I was really happy about it. I love these marks. I know we didn't negotiate it, but we're both like really thankful and appreciative of the experience. But it just goes to show that, um, you know, and in that moment, I did try to like reach out and sort of cater to their needs. And they said, no, no, we don't need emotional support. We don't need, you know, we're fine. We're great. We're in a good place. Um, but that was something that I, I brought up for me, which was getting to know our partners too, as well, because each person's body is going to be, have a different response to experiences that we may feel, um, you know, we just have to be mindful of each person's mm-hmm. experience. So that taught me to ask more about people's bruising or yeah. people's sort of bodies and how they respond. And, um, yeah. So I think sometimes we learn through these experiences too, but hopefully nothing gets to a place where safety issues are truly compromised or we cross boundaries that are um, psychologically or physically sort of you know, painful. Absolutely. Well, that's all great uh, advice, but we do like to leave our audience at the end of our show with some final sexy advice. And just to kind of mm-hmm. recap all of this, if you're in a couple, how would you bring it up to your partner that you want to explore this kink lifestyle? I've often found that having a third-party introduction is really helpful, and what I mean by that is, um, what if we had, what if we watched something together that brought this up to the table, you know, into our relationship, and then we say, "Oh, what do you think of that?" And for example, I've had a, a number of couples watch a show on Netflix called Sex Explained. And there's five episodes, but the first two are amazing. They're on des- uh, arousal and desire, and the second is on fantasies. And I say, "Watch these two. They're 15 minutes each. You know, it's 30 minutes of your time." And allow that to be the catalyst that brings this up into your relationship and say, Oh, what do you think about that fantasy? I'll let you, I'll let you know about mine. You know, what I think of it is if you share yours and you kind of do this, you know, sort of mutual experience, it could be a wonderful way to just be prompted. I love having prompts because I know that sometimes it's hard for us to just find the courage or find the words um, and express this. I also encourage if people don't use, let's say, media, um, Take the, 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 the concept of elevator speeches that we have in the business world and create your own sexual expression elevator speech, meaning construct six, seven, eight sentences that you want to convey that are concise, that get to the point of what you want to express, um, and always leave the, the last sentence as like an open-ended question, like, what about you? Do you have any ex- desire for something sexually open-minded or something sexually experimental for yourself? But constructing that elevator speech, practicing it, sort of getting comfortable with it, and then sharing it. You know, it can be a really wonderful way for us to get out of our heads because a lot of us do are in our heads and have a lot of stress and anxiety about expressing ourselves. Absolutely. Amazing. Well, that hour flew by. Um, they always do with our great guests. <laughs> yes. Um, Dr. Hernando, um, thanks so much for being here, sharing all that great information. Why don't you tell everybody out there how they can find your work um, online, social media? Well, thank you so much, Carol, David, for having me on. You two are wonderful, and it just sounds like you have such a, a loving and open relationship. It's, it's fantastic to see people living their their most authentic lives. You know? Thank you. And it really just, I, I pick up that you have really aligned those fantasies, those realities, and your relational sort of experience all seem to be very incongruent with pleasure and with you know the hedonistic desires that I think a lot of us hope for and, and dream of. Thank it's you. It's just wonderful to see you two. Thank you. Um, for myself, you can find me on social media. At, uh, all of my social media is Hernando underscore Chavez, and it ends with an S. 
You could also type that into Google and you'll see a website come up at drhernandochavez.com. And, uh, you know, I, I, um, really appreciate the opportunity to, to talk about sex and kink and BDSM and just thank you very much. Our pleasure. And of course, if you missed any of the information on how to reach Dr. Hernando, just go to our website, thesexylifestyle.com, where every one of our guests has their own guest page with all their information. And you can even contact them there if you have any questions about their work or anything. Absolutely. And as we did today and we do every week, we're learning more and more from all our expert guests. We hope you do too. If you have any questions at all, you can always send us an email at ask at carolandavid.com. All righty. That's the end of another great show with another super amazing guest, Dr. Hernando Chavez. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much. And like we do every week, we want to thank all our listeners for being there week in and week out. You can join us again next time for another hour of The Sexy Lifestyle, talking about sex, sexuality, sexual health, and pleasure, and all the fun ways to spice up your sex life and live happy, healthy, and always horny. Well, that's it for our show today. Carol and I send you lots of love and great sex. Please stay safe. And of course, stay sexy, everyone. Until next time. Thank you for joining Carol and David for this week's edition of The Sexy Lifestyle. We've got another one lined up next Friday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The weekend is just around the corner, so try something new, spice it up, and you just might have the best sex ever. Sex, 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 sex,